Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We've been on a series over the last five weeks, and we've been talking about this series called The Gift. All of us just coming out of the Christmas season, we all kind of have a common understanding of really what a gift represents. And really what a gift is, is it's something that someone desires to give to another person. And a gift really has a giver and it has a recipient. And there's one person that obviously puts some thought and some time and some energy. Maybe there's some value attached to it. Maybe they bought it or maybe they made it, but they desire to give something to someone because of their affection or their love or their appreciation of that other person. And we've got to realize as we talk about these gifts today, once again, that a gift only has value if you receive it and you open it and you use it. It's not good enough just to receive the gift and to say thanks. It only has value once it's put To use. If you get a a sweater for Christmas or something else and you put it on your shelf and never wear it, you'll never have any value from that gift. And every single one of us, we receive gifts throughout the year. Some of you receive them during Christmas. You get them for your birthday or what have you. But the beauty about God's gifts is that they're available every day of your life. That every morning that you wake up, you can open up the gifts and you can apply them to your life. Unfortunately, many of us leave them on the shelves and only pull them down when a crisis hits. But God wants to let you know that the priceless gifts and the precious gifts that we've been talking about are a 365 day a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Whenever you need it, you can use the gift that God's given you. And someone should get excited right there. Come on. God gives us these gifts. They're priceless. They're precious. They're eternal. And they're available for every single single person here today. And that gets me excited. And so we've been talking about gifts over the last five weeks. We talked about the gift of love. We talked about the gift of peace, the gift of joy, the gift of grace. And this morning, we're going to talk about the gift of hope, a gift that we all desperately need. But before we do that, what I'd like to do, go to the video here and let's watch this together. Walking stone. Well, Rick and I have been married for 19 years now, and the, the whole 19 years were very difficult. The marriage was very um, chaotic and explosive, and there were times when I just wanted to run away from the whole thing. And my anxiety level was just so high that I just went and hired an attorney and asked uh, how to go about getting a divorce. I didn't tell anybody. Well, after the divorce papers came, I was uh, devastated. I was uh, just crushed. I had no hope. I was in despair. I didn't know where to turn other than God. Uh, I was praying one day, one night, late in the night. And God told me that Anne was a treasure that could never be replaced. And it broke my heart as I cried because she can't be replaced. 
About five years ago, we had a prophetic ministry over us. We were getting an anointing being the instead of couple. Instead of divorce, there will be restoration. Instead of suicide, there would be life. I really was without a lot of hope, but trusting that God told me in 2002 that we were going to be the instead of couple, I held on to that hope and belief that God would, it was, it was really his word. Everything changed. Everything changed so fast, I couldn't believe it. Um, my wife dropped the divorce papers, uh, dropped the divorce, called her lawyer. Uh, she asked if we can go on a second honeymoon to forget the past and start afresh and new. And uh, I said, yes, let's do it. So we went on a honeymoon to the Bahamas and Jamaica and Cayman Islands. And we had the best time of our life. With our kids. Well, we took our kids, yeah. We kept them down the other hall, down the hall, though. We, uh, we had a separate room, and it was just wonderful. It was the best time of our life. And I want to say the happy part of this story is that I'm wearing my wedding ring again. I hadn't worn that for a good six months, and I'm wearing my wedding ring again. And, Rick, I brought your ring. Oh. Yeah, and this is for you to wear, and that I respect our marriage. I have faith in our marriage. I have faith in God for our marriage. And I believe the best is yet to come. And I want you to wear this knowing that I love you and the best is yet to come. And I respect our marriage. I'm happy. I mean, there's so much hope. It just all started happening since I gave up my life, stopped trying to run my life, and let God run my life. He has restored everything, not just my marriage, but more than I even asked. I asked for my marriage, I asked for my wife back, but he gave me my kids, mm -hmm. all four of my children back serving the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I'm so happy, so full of hope for the future. Well, I want you to put your hands together. What a powerful testimony. You know, when you look at that video, you see uh, the power of God touching the lives of people that were living basically a hopeless life for 19 years, living in desperate, desperation, living kind of an aimless life. And, you know, it's amazing to see what happens as he said, you know, I finally came to the place where I had to give up my life and I had to realize that there was something else. And, you know, as I look at that video and I see what happened in their life, you know, if we're, if we're real honest with ourselves, there's probably a little of all of us in that story. Now, maybe you aren't going through a, a very difficult time in your marriage, or maybe your marriage is pretty stable. But the reality is, is that as Christians or as people, oftentimes we put our hope in something that maybe will bring back disappointing results. And really, there's only one place that we should be putting our hope, and that's in God. And so we're going to talk today about this whole issue of hope because without hope, it's so critical to our lives that without hope, we begin to do irrational things. We begin to have wrong thoughts, wrong emotions come our way. People even get to the point where they want to commit suicide because they come to a place where there's no more hope in their life. And life wasn't meant to be that way. God never created you to be a person that lived a hopeless life. 
In fact, when you look at your life, God created hope so that we would look beyond our present circumstance and beyond our life situations and hope for something more than we're experiencing right now. If all that you have to look forward in life is what you currently have, why is there any reason for tomorrow? But God put something in our life so that we would believe for more. We would believe for the better in every area of our lives, every day of our life, because God is a God of increase. God is a God of blessing. God wants to do great things in our life. And there's more for us every single day of our life. If we just believe it and agree with him and hope that he can do better things in our life. And that's why God put that in our heart, the desire, the dream to hope. And the Bible says this, it's one of the main scriptures we've been looking at. And obviously this scripture has some um, emphasis for all the different gifts of peace, love, grace, and joy. But I really like this scripture because I believe it's one of the greatest scriptures on hope. And it's John three sixteen, And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, unless he came, you were hopeless. But because he came, you have hope. Not only in eternity, but every single day of your life. You can wake up and know that God is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. He's your rear guard. He goes before you. And God is surrounded and immersed in every area of your life. Whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, he's the God of hope. And we can look at that scripture and we can have hope knowing that God is for us, that God loved us so much so that he marked it by giving his only son. I call that hope. And on the flip side, we can see without hope, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. People that don't have hope or people that have limited hope or they have distorted hope will begin to feel sick in their emotions, in their spirit, in their attitude, even physically. It can begin to affect you when discouragement comes in or loneliness or depression or hopelessness comes your way. We begin to get sick in every aspect of our life. That's why the scripture goes on and it tells us that but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And there's a dichotomy there between hopelessness and hope. But as we begin this morning, I want to look at this whole concept of hope. But I want to start by talking about what hope is not. And just maybe erode or erase some of these thoughts maybe that we put our hope in. And maybe to help you to put your hope in the right thing. So in the days to come, you're not discouraged when things come your way uh, that aren't supposed to be there in your life. And so when we talk about this whole area of what hope isn't, I want to just stop and have you just reflect for a moment. Have you ever had hope in something or a dream in something and the reality came that it wasn't ever going to come to pass? Or maybe you've been hoping for it for so long that you're discouraged, thinking that God would never show up. You know, a lot of times, again, life's filled with disappointments and mistakes and things come our way and things we regret doing. But if we put our hope in the wrong thing, life will always let you down. You know, maybe you're here and you said, you know what? I, I had hopes of getting the, the right job. And I went and I interviewed for this job and I was believing and I was praying and it just didn't materialize. 
Maybe you just were discouraged in that. Or maybe you put your hope in something like a relationship. Maybe even in your marriage or even yourself. And that person that you married thinking that she was going to be the dream girl or the dream guy. And a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, she or he didn't turn out who you thought she was going to be. And it's been that way for a long time. Or maybe you had hopes of getting that new car, that new house, or that new thing, and it didn't materialize. You know, one thing I've I've realized about all these situations, and again, we should hope that God's going to give us good marriage, a good spouse, and good job, and good kids. But if we put our hope in the things, if we put our hope in possessions, if we put our hope even in relationships that are fallible or that can fall apart, dealing with fallen humanity, what you'll find every single time is that people will let you down. Circumstances change. Things can disappoint you. And what happens is because you placed your hope in that versus in him, you find out very quickly that your hope is deferred and your heart gets sick. So let's talk about a few things that hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. Now, if you're a Miami's Dolphin fan and you're saying, I hope that they win the Super Bowl this year, I would call that wishful thinking. They've won one game this year. And no matter how much you wish and how much you think that they're going to win, it's not going to happen. Sorry to burst your bubble. It isn't going to happen. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, my house is going to appreciate 35% in the next six months. That would be wishful thinking in this economy. Maybe you're saying that you could lose 35 pounds by February 1st unless you go onto an island and starve yourself to death or cut off a couple legs. It's probably not going to happen. That would also be called wishful thinking. And wishful thinking is basically this. It is hope that something will go your way even though you have no power over the situation. It's like the little boy that's standing at the foot of the escalator in a large department store. And he's got his eyes focused intently on the handrail as it's going around and round. And after a few minutes, there's a salesman by and he's watching this little kid watch this handrail. And he comes over and he says, son, can I help you? Are you lost? He goes, nope, I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to return. That's wishful thinking. And some of us live our life that way. We sit there and we just kind of watch life pass us by and our eyes kind of go round and round and round and we kind of look at things passively hoping that some kind of reward is going to suddenly appear in our life and it's going to suddenly have some kind of st- substantial impact in our life. But reality is, it's wishful thinking. It's putting your hope in the wrong thing. Hope is also not I- naive idealism. Now, I think that all of us should be optimistic. I kind of, uh, the guy that looks at a glass half full versus half empty, and I believe that we should all have an optimistic view in life. But naive idealism ignores problems as though they don't exist. Where there's a circumstance or a tragedy or a trial or a problem, and they just tend to skirt it off or bury it and say, you know what, it's not really there. You know, you can talk to some people and you say, how are you doing? Knowing that their life's in shambles. As a pastor, you try to get involved in their life and they say, hey, everything's good and life's good and family's good and finances are good and marriage is good and all is good. And you know that it's not true. I would call that naive idealism. You're putting your hope in a thought without looking to the reality of your circumstance. 
You know, one of the things that I look at here is an ad in a newspaper here. It says, lost dog has three legs, covered in mange, blind in right eye, tail bent, missing right ear, and recently castrated in answers to the name of Lucky. I would call that naive idealism. Not facing the reality or the facts. The dog's name should probably be Bummer, not Lucky. But the reality is, is that that he's got some things going on in his life. Or it's like the bumper sticker I saw in a New York taxi cab when I was back there. It said, hope is five green lights in a row. That doesn't happen in New York. That would be called naive idealism. Also, hope is not flamboyant dreams. Now, these are lofty goals that we set and we desire to achieve, but they're unrealistic and unattainable. Sometimes we set goals, especially this time of year, hoping that something's going to happen, but we set a goal that can't be reached. Now, again, we should all set goals and we should have prayer targets and we should believe God for the best. And he's the God of, of, of uh, the possible. You know, all things are possible with God. And so we should believe him for the impossible in certain situations. But really what God does in your life that's supernatural and impossible has to do with God's will for your life, not just for the dreams of what you want in your life. And obviously has a purpose and a plan of why he would do supernatural things in your life. But see, all of us have dreams, but we also have limitations. You know, we were created and built a certain way. And there's some things based upon my genetic code and the way I'm made of things that I can do and some things that I can't do. I will never be a center for an NBA team, no matter how much I dream for that. I'm just not tall enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not coordinated enough. But I remember at eight years old when I was in third grade, I had a flamboyant dream that I actually thought would become possible. And I came very, very close to obtaining the goal, but realized I just maybe didn't have what it was, what it took. And that was to be Mr. Universe. That's not funny. You guys are laughing. That's not funny. But I remember um, having this dream and sharing it with my parents. And my dad said, hey, whatever you want to do, you think you can do it. You're going to have to earn some money and go out to buy your stuff. And so I remember mowing lawns and going out and selling stuff and doing little garage sales behind the house. And what I did is I ended up buying weights. And then on top of that, I bought a Charles Atlas one-year weightlifting kit. And I began working out and pushing weights at eight years old. And I remember getting in front of the mirror at 76 pounds and flexing, knowing I was going to become the Mr. Universe of the decade. Reality was, didn't happen. It was a flamboyant dream. A lot of us put our hope in flamboyant dreams and they're not reality. So I want to look at this morning, really what we should put our hope in. What is hope? What does hope really look like? You know, the Bible mentions hope 95 times in the Old Testament. 85 times in the New Testament. So this is a major theme throughout the Bible. God wants to make sure that we understand that we should have hope, that we should believe and live beyond our circumstance. And when you look at the Greek word uh, in the New Testament of hope, it, it basically means this. It means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. See, you've got to have confidence And what you hope for will happen. But that which is good, as the Bible speaks, is God and his word. Things that will never change. 
His promises always remain true. And true hope is putting your hope in the God of hope, not in circumstances, not in possessions, not in people. Another definition says this, hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill all the promises that he's made to you. When you open up the word of God, every page is saturated with promises from God to you. There are thousands of promises that speak to your life, that speak to your circumstances, that speak to your experiences, that speak to your weaknesses, to your relationships, to your finances. And what happens in life is when trials come, when tragedies come, when circumstances hit our life that begin to discourage us, Unfortunately, we begin to focus on the circumstance versus focusing on the promise. And we put our discouragement here versus our hope there. And hope is putting your life completely in God's hands, knowing that anything that he promised you can and will happen because it's his will for your life. That's real hope. See, hope isn't putting your your, your life in something or putting your trust in something or on something, it's putting it in someone, not something. And that someone is God. And it's not what you do that brings hope. It's what he did and what he does that brings hope. Because circumstances change. People will let you down. Even in the midst of a crisis or tragedy, you can still have hope because he's there for you. He will never leave or forsake you. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so we can look to him despite what our circumstances look like or not look like, knowing that what he did and what he does will never change and he'll be there for you. And that's what real hope is all about. And when we look at hope, we've got to realize that it is an essential element of your Christianity and of your life. Really, whether you have hope or not have hope will dictate who you become. It will dictate your personality. It will dictate your character, your reputation, your mindset, your attitude, ultimately your destiny. If you believe that God can never do anything great in your life, so be it according to your faith. You'll live a fairly mundane average life. But if you look to the promises of God and you hope for something beyond your circumstance, beyond your experience, beyond your life, your life situations, and you hold fast to a promise that God has for you, you begin to change your attitude. Life looks a little bit better. Your spirit is a little bit happier. Your marriage begins to get better. Your finances begin to get better because you believe in the promises and put your hope in the God of hope. And it changes who you are. And all of a sudden, you begin to look at life, the glass half full, not half empty. So I want to encourage you today. Hope is something that you can have. In fact, hope is something that's God's will for your life. That there's great things that God has for your life. And you need to trust and hope that God has your best interests in mind. And with that, this morning, I want to look at three areas of how you can kind of attach this concept of hope to your life. And the first area that I want to look at that I think affects a lot of people today is the whole area of your past. Hope covers your past. 
It's obviously Jesus that covers your past and the blood of Christ that covers your past. But it's the hope and the fact of his word applied to your life that you can have hope that God will cover your past. And when I look at this thought, you know, it has special meaning for me. I look at my life and I look at where I came from. I remember 25 years ago before I given my life to Christ, I was living in a desperate, hopeless state. I had made a lot of mistakes. I had hurt a lot of people. I was a pretty ugly person. And I thought that I, that I didn't have any hope of ever getting out of the hole I was in. I remember being not just in a cloud, but in a fog of shame and guilt and resentment and regret looking at my life thinking, you know what? I am too far down the path of mistakes to really have any kind of life. And I remember the first time turning on the TV, it was 2.30 in the morning, August 1982, and hearing Keith Green talk about the love of God. And I remember he said, you know what? No matter what you have done, no matter how evil or vile it is, God forgives you. He can take away your past. He can give you a new life. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed with hope that I actually had a chance to change my life. And what really drew me to God was maybe not even the forgiveness part in as much as the hope part. And that there was a hope for my life. There's hope that someone loved me and hope that someone cared for me. And I remember running after him. So this is a a real important piece for me in my life. I'm sure for many of you here today. And when we look at this, we've got to realize a couple things. Hope forgives all your past mistakes and sins. Now, you've got to grab a hold of this for a second here. No matter what you've done, it's all forgiven. All your past mistakes, all your past sins, they're gone. They've been abolished. They've been erased. They're gone. They're, they're, gone. they're done with. The Bible says those who become Christians become new persons. And here's the emphasis. They are not the same anymore. It says for their old life is gone. Their old life, their habits, their sins, their bad attitudes. That doesn't mean that you can't have them after the cross. But reality is, is he takes your life. And this is kind of what your life looked like before Christ. And you have all these things going on in your heart and your life. And you've got sin and lust and pride and bitterness and anger. And as soon as you say, Jesus, come and cleanse me. He just comes and he just wipes it all clean. And he makes sure that there's nothing on your slate. And this is all God sees. Now, we run the risk of trying to write stuff back on it, but he says, no, this is all I see. My blood covered everything. No matter how bad it was, no matter how vile it was, no matter how ugly your sin was, it's washed and it's clean. And I remember watching a program just a few years ago. It was a documentary about God in prison. And they're interviewing different people on death row that had given their life to Christ. And one man in particular that caught my attention was a man named Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, some of you may remember years and years ago, he was involved or part of one of the uh, most vile serial murder uh, acts in American history, just killing many different people. And he began to talk about how he could lay his head on his pillow at night and have peace, knowing that God had forgiven him of all of his vile acts. And I am sure that there were people, thousands of people watching that program 
that were just mad at the fact that he would have the audacity to say that because how could God forgive a man of such vile acts? And I remember just shortly afterwards, I I wrote an article in a local newspaper called Jeffrey's My Next Door Neighbor. And because I was so taken back with watching the show at the depth and the width of God's forgiveness, that no matter what you had ever done, that God could wash those cleans. And so the whole point of the article was to say that, you know what? If God could forgive Jeffrey, God could forgive you. And that he just, is my, he just might be my next door neighbor in heaven when I get up there. And, you know, the whole point is, you know, again, not to minimize his sin or to be insensitive to the families that lost loved ones, but to really focus in on the fact that no matter what you have ever done, he wipes it clean. Your slate is clean. And not only that, which is very cool, but he takes away all the shame that's associated with it. And one of the lingering effects of sin is shame. And even after you feel that you've been forgiven, you have this whole concept of shame working in your life. You might be experiencing thoughts of regret or you might be having depression. You might be going through this vicious swirl in your mind of all these different thoughts. I want to let you know today that shame is of the devil that God honestly has forgiven you. I thank God for this revelation because I don't know if I could live with myself of all the stupid stuff that I used to do. The reason I can pick my head up is because I realized that God erased it and buried it in the tomb of my past. Here's some scriptures just to encourage you this morning. John eight thirty six says, so if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. John 8.32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Another scripture, John 8, is Jesus is talking to the prostitute. And here she is. She was caught in the act of adultery. And as he stands up and asks, where are your accusers? He looks at the girl and he says, and neither do I condemn you. Your shame is gone. Go and live your life and sin no more. And here's probably one of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 34, 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. We've got to recognize that God comes in and he covers our past. Don't live in yesteryear's mistakes. There's hope in the fact that God has covered your past. Can I hear an amen? It gets better though. And again, a lot of people spend their whole life as a Christian just trying to get past their past mistakes. They may live decades just trying to get to this bar. But God wants to let you know this is just the beginning point. Just covering your past should be an an event where you realize that the blood of Christ and the cross comes and covers everything, erases it. And you should start from that point on realizing that God wants to come and saturate and fill your present with hope. And there should be hope in everything that you do. Come on, imagine waking up every morning hoping that you're going to have a great day. Driving to work with hope. Looking at your wife, realizing there is hope for your marriage. Looking at your children, looking at your checkbook. Putting your head on your pillow. Every day, your life should be filled with the fact that God is the God of hope. And he wants to saturate your life and your experiences with his hope. It's the word of God. It's the will of God for your life. 
And so here's a couple things that will help you to get there. A couple things that you need to look at about hope in your present. The first thing is this. Hope gives us a new start. And basically it means he's wiped your slate clean. Not only has he forgiven your past, but you got to realize you have a second chance. Everything has been forgiven and has been forgotten. And that should apply to you even as a Christian. If you made a mistake yesterday, you went on the internet and looked at something stupid. You got in an angry fight with your spouse. You yelled at your child. You did something stupid. Come on. You can have a fresh start if you go and ask forgiveness and ask repentance. He comes and he wipes your slate clean even from yesterday. And the Bible tells us, it says, this I call to mind, it's in Lamentations 3.21, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, because his compassions never fail. Listen, they are new every morning. They are new today. When you woke up, God said, hey, let's forget about yesterday. Let's begin to wipe the slate clean. I want to give you a new start. Let's just get that behind us. Let's ask for forgiveness. Have hope that it's behind you. You have now something in your future that awaits you. He gives you a new start. He not only gives you a new start, but he gives you a new identity. Now, you've got to think about this one piece that he gives you a new identity is you're not the person that you used to be. And oftentimes we think of ourselves as the old guy when we're the new guy. You know, one of my favorite TV shows is the Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I love that show. It's going to be on tonight. Ty Pennington. And I love to watch this show because it, it really is a show about hope. People that were living desperate, hopeless lives of despair. Someone shows up and helps them. One of my favorite parts of the show is when they get ready to move the bus and the family's standing there. They've got back from the vacation and all this anticipation's there and this big thing is blocking their view between their old reality and their new reality or their new identity. And finally, Ty says, are you ready? And they say, bus driver, move that bus! And they move the bus. They go, ha, ha, ha! They start falling on the ground and jumping and crying and all because they see the reality of their new identity. It's reality. The old is gone and they see the new. That's the way we should be as Christians. Jesus moved your bus. Come on, Jesus, move that stuff. Your bus has been moved and you need to look at yourself through the word of God and realize you are a new creature. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says we become a new person. And I think of my own life. Again, I just wanted to show you a picture here because I go back 25 years in my life and I was a, a drug addict an alcoholic, rock star, just lying, stealing, heathen. And this is who what I look like then. Now, again, I'm cleaned up here. This is my wedding day, March 1st, 1980. I actually cut my hair and trimmed my beard and put a tux on. So you're going to see the good part of my ugliness. But that's who I was then. And this is who I am now. That's one good looking guy, isn't it? I'm not that old guy anymore. I mean, you guys, maybe you're not getting this. This is who I was then. I want you to see this. That's who I was then. Hopelessness, shame, guilt, 
aimless. And this is who I am now. I love God. I'm part of a local church. I'm part of the family of God. He does great things in my life. I am a happy camper. You're still not getting it. This is me then. And this is me now. I'm a new guy. My dreams have come true. I finally became Mr. You guys are laughing. I'm trying to be serious here right now. That is one good looking guy. Rocky Butte, I see you laughing over there. Don't make fun of me. Listen, you're not the person you were before. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm a dead man, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Christ. I own part of the kingdom of heaven. Romans 8, 17 says that I own part of the kingdom of heaven. I am heirs with God. I'm a priest. I'm a king. I'm part of the royal priesthood. Come on, that's who we are. You've got to see yourself as kings and priests. You've got to show yourself as favored that you have a new identity in him. And someone should be getting excited about now. Because that's who we are in reality in God's eyes. We've got to have hope for that. We also, if you can get past those few, you have to have hope and allow it to saturate your current circumstance. Hope saturates your current circumstance. Maybe you've already got the new start and the new identity figured out. But maybe today you're going through a situation where you're facing just a tough time. And maybe you've been in a trench or in a tough time for a long time. And maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you're discouraged. I want to let you know this morning that God's the God of hope that will come and fill your circumstance in a great way. Listen, hope is the feeling that you have that the feeling you have isn't permanent. I hope you got that. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have isn't permanent. Good times come, good times go. Bad times come, bad times go. But what can remain is hope. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation. There's just people who have lost hope in the situation. See, because God never changes. God has your best interests in mind. He's there with you in the midst of your circumstance. He hasn't forgotten you. The Bible tells us, as you look in Psalms 42, 5, and this is David speaking to his own soul that's discouraged. And he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? He says, why are you so disturbed within me? I can imagine him in his own prayer closet just saying, put your hope in God. Come on, stir yourself up. Quit looking at that. Look to the word of God. Look to the promises of God. I'm going to put my hope in him because I can be rest assured that he's going to pull me through this situation. He's there with me. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. God has not left you. He's not gone on to more important things. He's there in the midst of your circumstances. God also wants you to know that hope gives you new opportunities. There are seeds of greatness. Listen to me. There are seeds of greatness in your life. You're not intended to be an average Christian. You're not just to live some kind of mundane, merry-go-round Christian life. God desires you to do great things. There are great opportunities that wait you. And really that's what hope is all about. It's realizing that God-given opportunities await you. 
The Bible says he came to give you life and life more what? More abundantly. The goal and the will of God for your life is to live an abundant life. He wants you to be, to be more blessed. He wants to bless and prosper you. That is a doctrine of the Bible, whether you believe it or not. Hopefully you believe it. God wants to bless your socks off. God wants to heal your body. God wants you to have a great marriage. God wants your kids to serve him. All of those things are opportunities that await you. And you have to put your hope in him that he's going to do those things. They are promises of God. And we can't get discouraged and allow the enemy to derail us. But we got to realize we, as people of God, have great things in store for our lives. Come on, every single one of you should be believing God for new opportunities in 2008. I don't know what 2007 looked like in your life, but 2008, God can do great things in your life. He can do better things in your life if you just believe in him. And we've got to have that thought. It's like the little, little league boy. You know, he was approached by a man at a baseball game and a little Jimmy was asked the question from this man. He says, uh, he says, uh, uh, to him, he says, uh, hey, what's the score? And the little boy says, 18 to nothing, we're behind. The man says, wow, you must be pretty discouraged. He goes, nope. He says, we haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> I like that perspective. The game's not over. He realizes that, hey, listen, just give me the bat. I'm going to whack a couple out of this park and we can get ahead. That's called expecting opportunities. You've got to, despite where your life is at and where you're at now, you've got to believe God to do great things in your life. Expect opportunities because they're the promises of God for you. Can I hear an amen? amen? And lastly, just as we close this morning. Hope secures your future. It not only covers your past, it not only is intended to fill your present, but it's also to secure your future. You know, you don't have to go very far to realize that there's a lot of wars going on. There's a lot of global tension, recent assassination, deflation of of real estate, the fear of no social security, people losing their jobs. We can get caught up in the moment. And it begins to erode the fact that maybe there isn't a future. But you know what? I don't put my hope in the economy. I don't put my hope in the president. I don't put my hope in our governor. I don't put my hope in anything but God. I can wake up every day and say, despite what I see, God, you're coming back for a glorious, triumphant church. God, your will for my life, it says, is not as good and not disastrous to bring me a future and a hope. That's a promise. And despite what it looks like, despite what 2007 looked like, I believe, God, that this next year and the coming years of my life and for City Bible Church and for every single one of us, that it can be a great life. We've got to believe that hope can secure our future and do great things with our life. And I just want to encourage you this morning as we close that, again, to consider what 2008 might look like for you. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you just are kind of just discouraged or fed up or hopeless or aimless. Why not give God a chance to do something great in your life? To just ask him again, say, you know what? I want to believe that you're going to put a fresh touch of hope in my life for my future, for your marriage, for your finances, for your kids. 
for your own life, for your thought life, for whatever you're struggling with, saying, God, I'm going to hope you're going to bury my past today. I'm hoping that you're going to come and fill my present, my circumstance. You're going to give me new opportunities. I believe it's God's will for your life. And lastly, I just want to say this one thought. And that is is that hope also secures the life to come, eternity. Romans 8 says that in this hope, we're saved. And you know, there's people that come into all of our services. In fact, people probably listening on the internet, people that just are, are exposed to what we do here that are on a spiritual journey. And I know this morning in all of our campuses, there's probably people that walked in and they're just trying to figure out the God thing. And maybe this morning you don't have hope in your life or maybe you're quote unquote hoping that you'll go to heaven, but it's based upon a a wishful thought, not based upon biblical truth. I just want to let you know Jesus died for you. He's forgiven you of your sins. If you're willing to give your life to him today, he can forgive and erase your past. He can remove all the shame in your life. He can give you a new start. He can give you a new identity if you just let him. I just want to encourage you with that this morning, whoever you are, to consider going into 2008 as a new person. Can I hear an amen?